welcome, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Let's get started. Straight from New York. Yo, yo, this handsome ass. You are uh, now tuned in to Al Joe the Funk Master. Watch your grill, yoga, knock out cold faster. Talking shit, now we talking facts. Where the mountain off the back, you in trouble, came to burst your bubble. I don't shelter punches, they find home on your mind about the devil. This the weekly scraps. You don't need a map, GPS, I'm right here to lead a dash. The world doesn't know it needs, but I grow disease. Planet, fuck a name and the fame. Only legacy remains. Remember the name, Al Jermaine Sterling. It ain't shit, it ain't shit. Motherfucker! What's up, guys? Welcome back to the weekly scraps, episode 161. UC Vegas 46 is in the books. We had a great card, but unfortunately, I didn't get to watch the entire card, but I did get to catch the main event, and that was the fight that mattered the most. Obviously, all the fights matter, all fights matter. All fights matter. But the one that mattered to me the most was at 145 because that was a huge fight for that featherweight division. And, of course, the results were insane. The fight was insane. It delivered from beginning to end. Calvin Cater, man on fire. What a return to come back and do that to a guy like Giga Chikadze who was looking untouchable in the octagon of late. And, I mean, you go back to his last performance against Edson Barbosa and the guy pretty much pitched a shutout against Barbosa, you know. So for Calvin Cater to come back off of a loss and to do this to a guy who was surging red hot at the time, that's very, very impressive. And um, I think all the credit he's getting right now is much deserved and due, you know. A couple of things that he did great, in my opinion, was, and let me just take a look at this, one, two, three, four, five, six... Seven fight win streak in the UFC, eight, nine, nine fights in a row. Um, but seven fights in the UFC for Giga Chikaze and Calvin Cater reminded the world who he was on Saturday night. Only 33 years old, the Boston finisher coming back after losing to Max Holloway. And if you kind of look at Cater's career, we talked about this a little bit before the podcast. He lost to Hanato Moicano after winning two in the UFC, then lost to Moicano, then beat two other people in Fishgold and Llamas, then lost to Zabit Magomesharipov, and then beat Jeremy Stevens and Dan, Dan Ige, and then lost to Max Holloway, and then beat Giga Chikaze. So if, if we're going by the trend, it looks like he's probably going to win his next fight as well. You know, Seems to win two, drop one, win two, drop one, at least within the UFC before that, he was pretty much a stud, um, beating up a lot of guys on his way up through the ranks on the regional circuit. Like I was saying before, I think some of the things that Cater did very, very well was utilizing those elbows and using his pressure. Now, we have to talk about the elephant in the room, the canvas, slipping on the canvas, something that I've talked about extensively that people made fun of me. Well, both fighters are fighting on us, so how come only one person is complaining? Moron. Styles make fights. So if I fight a specific way, which utilizes a lot of kicks or utilizes a lot of grappling in space or pressuring people against the cage, and my strategy is to lean on you, that affects me. That doesn't affect you who is against the cage. You can slip in, in regards to defensively, but if the guy is using the offense and he's trying to, to, to TP himself out so that he can get more leverage by driving his feet further away so that he can just pretty much put a stake through your 
your chest so he keeps you pinned against the cage. And now you can't do that because the octagon is slipping away from your your foot your feet, your footing. That changes things. How can it not? How does that affect the other guy? And 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 people are saying it should affect both guys. Yeah, but in the situations that we're talking about, it cannot affect both people the same way. If I'm using kicks, it's not gonna affect me if I'm using predominantly punches. Because my footwork is still pretty much the same. I got my feet underneath me. I'm using a technical boxing approach where all I have to do is bring my feet together. So there's no actual spreading of the the, the guard or spreading of the your your foot placements where you can feel the effect of sliding in the canvas. Now, if I were to sprint towards you and then I would try to stop, I could slide in that uh, situation. And that has happened where you see guys... Um, trying to go forward and they kind of lose their footing a little bit and it's just one of those things man if I throw a front kick and I throw too too hard forward where in the octagons back here in Vegas or in New York where I train I could throw a front kick and extend my hips all the way back or take a big step forward and then leap in with that front kick and I can still have my foot underneath me versus the octagon where I do that I'm probably gonna fall like someone pull the rug from underneath my feet, or I slipped, slipped, uh, slipped and stepped on a banana pill. That's just the way it is. And for people to kind of disregard that as if it's not a true thing, it's it's kind of insane. It's a slap in the face to all the fighters who've been experiencing it. Just because they don't talk about it doesn't mean it's not happening. Guys have been fighting in it, and they, and they do notice there is a significant difference compared to how the octagon used to be to how it is now. I think the big cage might be a little bit different, but again, that was only in round one where that one slip caused the takedown for Calvin Cater to capitalize on the situation and get Giga Chikaze down, take his back, and pretty much keep him there for about three minutes on the canvas and get him tired. Now, fast forward, the one takedown doesn't affect the entire five rounds, but you do have to acknowledge that that slip which was a major slip in terms of positioning and in terms of losing the round. And, of course, well, if you're a really good fighter, sometimes stuff happens in the fight. Yeah, because that, that happened in the fight. So you got to be able to adjust and adapt. But if you don't have those situations happening to you in the cage where you just randomly throw, um, or I don't want to say randomly, but you, you selectively pick the strike and you threw it, and then somehow, some way, in comparison to where you're training to the octagon, you fall on your ass. Now you got to make a, an adjustment that you didn't plan for because maybe your defensive approach to takedowns all camp was strong in the first, second, or third round, and then now you get to a position where you're not very familiar because you never had that position happen to you in the sparring room, maybe. I'm not saying Giga did or did not, but it changes things. But outside of that, being down on the mat, Giga tried to use a tremendous amount of energy to get back to his feet, and he had a hard time doing that, and he could not get back to his feet in that first round. That, that round is in the bank for Calvin Cater, but those kicks and those strikes were looking dangerous very, very early on. Cater did a good job of switching stances, trying to stifle the game of Giga. And Giga, after that first that kick, he kind of got away from it. Didn't really throw any more calf kicks. Threw a couple, yes, but not the way he throws it normally where he will circle and then he'll blast you with a kick from the outside. Then he'll circle, then he'll blast you with a kick from the outside. Then he'll try to get your arms to come down and come up top. Cater did a good job of using his reach 
and trying to switch stance and trying to cut off Giga and keeping him on his toes and making him move the entire time while Cater just kind of gradually pressing forward, not using too much energy. But when he had the opportunity to jab, he'll throw it out there, keeping that other hand tight to his face, tight to his chin. And uh, he was pretty much defensively sound almost the entire fight. I mean, he got hit a couple of good times. There was one sequence where Giga threw like three left hands in a row. And I was like, oh, he's still in this fight. I think it might have been in the third round. Um, but then Cater came back. I think it was with a spinning elbow attack. And from there, I think that's when the spinning elbows started to land a lot more. Or I think he landed the first spinning elbow or step back elbow, whatever you want to call it. And from there, Cater just started to find a happy place with those elbows and was just throwing them left and right, especially in the end of that fifth round where he stepped in with like four hard elbows. And they didn't all land, but the fact that he was swinging them things like it was like a baseball bat just whiffing um, and trying to just take Giga out, landing a couple of them in, in those in the process in those exchanges. And uh, Cater looked dangerous, man. He looked very, very dangerous. And I like this Calvin Cater. Um, he said himself he took more hits, took more damage than he actually would have liked to have taken. But it's a fight game. You're fighting a very, very dangerous striker. And... Giga was there to compete the entire time. Didn't quit. His punches started to lose a little bit of um, pop on it, obviously, in the later rounds. But at the same time, he was still landing, but not the way that Calvin Cater was landing. And I think that was the difference. Uh, Cater had a, a – you could tell he was the fresher fighter going into those championship rounds. Um, either way, man, great job by both men. I think that they, they both displayed some warrior – spirits in terms of their skill set their heart uh cater show that he is still one of the top guys in that division and make sure you guys are paying attention to him because he is going to turn some heads i don't know where he goes from here he can't get the next title shot but i can see him fighting a guy like maybe zabit again i don't know what's going on with that or maybe yair rodriguez and yair we know even when he's tired he's not gonna stop kicking that guy kicks 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 and kicks he is going to bang up his legs while trying to bang you up with them you know so that would be a very interesting fight um we all know the kicking takes a lot of energy i don't know if people have ever tried it but get on a heavy bag and burn out for 10 seconds of just right hook left hook right hook left left hook try to get like 20 of them in and then try to do that with kicks hard round kicks both legs left kick right kick left kick right kick for about 10, 20 seconds, and tell me which one you feel fatigued. Well, you're going to feel fatigued from both because you're killing it. If you're kicking with the proper mechanics and really throwing your entire body weight into it, I think you're going to feel the fatigue a lot faster when it comes to the kicks. So try that out and tell me what you guys think and let me know if that actually um, gives you like a new appreciation for guys that are kick heavy in their fights because I think it's extremely tough to do and extremely tiring. I remember being on Joe Rogan's podcast in, in uh, 2019 and uh, he was like, I want to talk to you about your style. And I go, yeah, it's very tiring. It's very, very, it's very tiring. And he was like, I know. <laughs> like you move a lot and then you kick a lot. Dude, I'm like, dude, I have to train like that and do extra just to make sure when I come to the fight because obviously you got the nerves and everything that kicks in and um, that type of energy. So it kind of zaps you a little bit, but you have to make sure you do that extra just so you can know that you can do that plus more 
going into the fight because in case you do get zapped from from the nerves of that day, you want to make sure that you, you are at least familiar with that experience and that you can do it because you've done it before in the training room a couple of times. A um, couple of other fights of note in this one. Shout out to Kelleher. Shout out to Caitlin Shukagan. Jake Collier surprised me. Um, I thought I was hoping for Sherman to win, but, you know, he did his thing. He looked good in that fight. Bill, Bill Algio looked good against Brito, who was a very dangerous guy who comes out like a juggernaut. Jamie Pickett turned some heads, um, turning back Joseph Holmes, which I did not think was going to happen. Joe Holmes looked like really good in the contender fight, and then he looked really good in his last fight at LFA where he knocked the guy out. I think it was LFA or was um, Texas. Mm, let me make sure I get that right, actually. Fury FC, that, so it was not Texas. Uh, outside of that, you have Court McGee turning back the clock. Turning back the clock. I think he was a tough 11 winner and I think 37 years old. His story is just phenomenal for people who don't know. Um, recovering addict, and I, I don't like talking about that but because that's a negative, right? But he was at the lowest point in his life before, and for him to turn it around, get to the UFC, win the Ultimate Fighter, and still be around taking out young contenders, um, or prospects, I should say, and Brahimaj, crazy. Crazy. Um, so congrats to him. And, of course, TJ Brown um, turning back Charles Rosa. I believe that was a short-notice fight. I think he was supposed to fight somebody else. No, it was Charles Rosa. So I don't know if it was the whole camp. I don't know. I have no idea. But it is what it is. Okay, guys. So now we got UFC 270. And about me, before we get into 270, yes, Saturday is the, re the reason why I didn't get to watch the entire fight card is because my friend, he is um, a huge party promoter out in New York, Florida, and Miami. Um, they do some stuff in London and uh, overseas and LA as well so they're very predominantly heavy in those main hubs so to speak him uh, Maurice we, like, we call him Reese we call him LaFleur so if you ever heard of a guy named LaFleur from New York that's my guy we actually went to college together SUNY Cortland I'm trying to bring him on a podcast hopefully this week maybe and we're going to do a little episode on him and see what he's been up to, how he's been living life, and his transition into that space. So I think that's going to be a very interesting conversation for a lot of you people who are interested in the nightlife world and maybe possibly getting into it. You know, I think he might give some insight. So it, would be, it, would, it, would, it will be a cool conversation to have. And uh, I, will, I have some questions I haven't even talked to him about that I think will be good for not only myself, but you guys as well. So I think it would be a fun conversation. Um, so he was been expressing interest into getting into the acting world. He had an opportunity with a guy he used to promote with, who is now a producer and writer, um, gave him a hookup with this movie. I don't know if I can reveal the name, but shot in Hollywood. He hit me up and, and we were talking about the podcast and then he was telling me that he was trying to get into the acting world. And then that movie opportunity came up with him somehow, some way, I forget, because the guys know each other and I forget what conversation, but whatever. The opportunity fell in his lap. He was supposed to fly from New York. Um, he, like I said, he works in a party life, so he had a long night, didn't catch his flight. Um, he was going to get me in as a feature, and I was kind of on, on standby 
to let me know if I was going to be in it or not. And whether or not I was going to have lines, I was like, dude, if they can put me in with lines, great. If not, I don't really care. I was like, if I can make a cameo appearance, just get inside the movie and um, add to my reel, I think that'd be cool. Like, whatever type of role they can give me, or even if it's um, a quiet role where it's like kind of like a feature spot, I'm just kind of trying to lay the foundation for my exit strategy at some point, you know, whether that's in four years, five years. I want to make sure I don't finish fighting and just kind of like start looking around like, well, what do I do now? And then trying to scramble around and trying to figure everything out at the moment. Good thing I have my investments where I don't have to find something out like right away. Like if I were to stop fighting tomorrow, I think my investments will hold me over to the point where I can figure out my next steps within a couple of months. I, I have some leeway, if that makes sense, as a, opposed to not having any of those things in place where it's like after I'm done fighting, I'm literally just living off of the last bit of money that I have from the fight after paying my taxes, coaches, whatever, and all my expenses. I don't want to be that guy. So he got me in. He called me in the morning on Saturday. and was like, yo, bro, I missed my flight. There's no other ones I'm going to be able to catch. I just paid. They just gave me a credit, blah, blah, blah. Um, so he tells me to get suited up and, and, and to go. So I, I head out. Um, I get there. I end up taking his role with a couple of lines. Like, he had some pretty good lines, like a good amount. There's probably, like, six speaking parts, you know, um, in the, his scene. So I took his lines. And the, the funny part is he's 6'4", I'm 5'7". So it goes from him being, like, this tough kind of bodyguard guy for, like, a rapper and then goes to a um, a 5'7 guy who's the bodyguard. But I think it's kind of cool because if you know what I do for a living, then it's kind of like, Oh, well, that kind of makes sense that he is the bodyguard for the rap because it's like, oh, that guy's like if for people watching, it's probably gonna, it's probably going to feel like, oh, that guy is actually that guy is actually a fighter. So he actually knows what he's doing. He's like a trained guy. It's not just people just walking around with the entourage. It just looks like you just got big guys around you kind of thing that maybe they don't know how to, to actually fight, but they're big as hell and they look intimidating, you know, but versus having a guy who actually knows how to fight, not as big. And it's just like, well, what are you going to do? And then you find out someone taps you on the show, like, psh, psh, don't do it. That, that kind of thing, you know? So I play his role, I get his lines. And then we were missing one other person because I was supposed to be the two guy. My boy, Josh was supposed to be the one guy. So I call up my cousin. They say, if you have anybody in LA, um, we're scrambling around at this point. So, Crazy story, man. I called my cousin up, like, what are you doing? He just got back from the grocery store. I was like, yo, if you want to be in this movie, bro, I know we were just talking about you getting into the acting space, too. He works for Delta. My man pulls up. He was he said 30 minutes, 45 minutes. He takes way longer. He misses his turn, whatever. So he shows up. He's lit. Like, he's high as hell. So he pulls up, and I could tell him, like, you missed your, you missed your exit. And it made his way even longer because you were high as hell. That's pretty much what happened. But it was hilarious. He gets there. He gets into the movie with a couple of lines. And most people I know, and obviously I say this like very um, understanding of the grind in the Hollywood space and just the acting world in general. Like film entertainment is like hard, man. People are doing background gigs. They're doing all this. They're working like five to seven days a week trying to do these background roles and um, all in the hopes of getting casted or getting enough stuff for their reel where they can potentially get into an, a real spot where they can actually have speaking lines. That is a big deal. So for my cousin to get in and get that, dude, 
he was so pumped, so happy, and he was just like, yo, man, thank you for putting me on. I was like, yeah, man, Josh put me on. And the fact that him not being here allowed me to put you on too is like crazy for both of us, you know. So we met a lot of cool people on set, and um, I was watching the fights when I could, whenever we were in between or after we were after we were rehearsing or not rehearsing, I would go sit in the holding room and just start watching the fights and going back and trying to like watch it as much as I could. So that's my story. Hopefully that wasn't too long and boring. <laughs> All right, so let's get into UFC 270. This is a big fight card. Obviously the unification of the champion's belt versus the interim champion's belt. Francis Ngannou, Cyril Ghosn, big fight. Um, and as we all know, I am partnered up with DraftKings. DraftKings Sportsbook It's an app. Go download that app. Use my promo code ALJO. So for new users, all you have to do is bet $1 to win $100 in free bets for any single fighter in the main event to land a single punch. Now, the odds of that not happening in a heavyweight bout, no one landing a punch. I don't think these guys are going to come and just start wrestling each other right away. I think they're going to be looking to bang and looking to knock each other out. So I think someone's going to land a punch, whether it's clean, whether it's, it's blocked. Someone lands a punch. You're going to get paid. So go check it out. DraftKings Sportsbook um, app now. Use promo code Aljo. Throw down just $1 on the UFC main event to win $100 in free bets by betting just $1. If either one of those fighters lands a punch. Now, the official sports betting partner of the U of UFC is DraftKings Sportsbook. You must be 21 or older. Uh, new customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook's. For details, gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. So that is our promo and our sponsor for today's show. Now, let's get into it with UFC 170. Now, this this, this is a huge fight. And I'm going to give you guys the real. Like, Francis Ngannou is my guy. Cyril Ngannou seems like a cool-ass dude down to earth. I like him. I like his fights. I think he is a new breed of heavyweight fighter. But we all know when it comes to power... What Francis Ngannou possesses is just different. It hits different. These guys used to train together in the past. I think Cyril Ghosn recognizes the threat with the four-ounce gloves versus when they were training with boxing gloves, elbow pads. It's just different. You can sustain a lot more damage. Even when you barely get hit, you feel that impact a little bit less. Now you take that big pillow off your hands and the shin guards and everything else now when you start to land with some the blades of your bones harder um impact from your fist straight up impact from your elbows it's a different fight it's a different feel you get worn down a lot faster compared to sparring that's why when people compare sparring to the fight it's just not the same it comes down to toughness it comes down to who lands the shots it comes down to who's blinking when they get hit the shots you don't see the ones that hurt the most Cyril Gan's keys to victory, obviously, is going to be for him to just be on his toes and trying not to get hit for the most part um, and trying to tie up Francis Ngannou any way that he can. And I think for Ngannou, his path to victory is obviously landing the kill shot, but I think if he keeps his punches straight, cuts off Cyril Gan, because obviously Cyril Gan is bouncing on his toes. He's kind of doing that rhythm step. Where he's on his toes and he's like boom, boom, boom. And he'll throw in a kick and then he'll be out of there. And he's kind of like boom, he'll touch, boom, he'll step in, elbow, boom, try to tie you up. And I think with Ngano, being able to keep his punches straight, looking to split something down the middle. If he starts coming with the wide hooks, I think 
gone would be able to have more success. But I do think, like I said, the ultimate equalizer, if Ngannou can cause some chaos, it's Ngannou's fight to win. Because all he needs to do is clip Cyril Gane. I'm not saying Gane can't take a shot. We all know anyone could take a shot, man. But it's just different when a guy like Ngannou touches that chin. Most guys, just about all guys, they go night-night. What's that? Um, oh, Kevin Hart. You want to go night-night? You want to go night-night, nigga? So, <laughs> um, this is a very intriguing fight. And and Gano in his last one was Stipe, landing the leg kicks, showing some improved wrestling um, for the most part, uh, and showing that, again, he's super dangerous. He showed some d- versatility in his striking. There was a couple times where he went wide with the hook, but when he did specifically the cross one, so he did a two one, it was fast. It was crisp, and Atlantic flush on Stipe. And I think that's what he's going to have to do a lot of because it's going to help him close the distance, close the gap on a guy who's very nimble on his feet and utilizes a lot of footwork um, to get in and out on the competition. And I think that is going to be the telltale in the first round how the rest of the fight is going to go. Obviously, with respect to having a fist fight, I think the longer the fight goes, you have to say that it's probably on paper going to favor um, Cyril Ghosn in the in the cardio department as of past history. But that was the old Ngano. What his gas tank is going to look like now over the course of five rounds, depending on the pace of the fight, if he sits there and he's patient and he uses his reads, he moves his head, I think this fight could be a lot different in terms of the cardiovascular point that people might be thinking that the longer the fight goes is going to favor gone that's what we would think based on history but we really don't know that in terms of this fight now the other thing i just want to point out francis and is a plus 130 underdog and cyril gone is a minus 150 favorite so keeps the victory for cyril gone utilize his footwork try to tie up and and not get taken down um and not get hit by the nuclear detonator in Ngano's fist. That's that's pretty much his keys to victory. I think he's gonna have to utilize a lot of long range weapons because if he gets it in an exchange with Ngano, we know his reach. Ngano's keys to victory. He, he's gonna be able to capitalize on his reach if they get into an exchange. And I think Ngano's key to victory is to cause a little bit of chaos, um, crowd Sirogan utilizing cutting off the cage and using some straight punches and not just head hunting. I think if he goes to the chest level, he can find the chin of Sirogan a lot easier as opposed to just going straight to the body. The body's always good. But if he aims at the, the neckline, he's going to be able to have a lot more chances of finding the head of Sirogan, who's a lot more nimble and who's going to be circling on his bike a lot of the time. So if he can aim where he can just touch the chin and cause some... Some concern for Cyril Ghosn. I think he can have some success and uh, eventually find that knockout blow. So it's going to be a good fight. Um, kickboxing versus the raw power and improving skill of Ngannou. I, I, I like this, man, especially from a rivalry standpoint in terms of these guys used to train together. Ngannou left the gym because of whatever happened between him and the coach. Um Cyril Gahn, 10-0, undefeated prospect, had some really good showings. 
Uh, we all know that Engano has sent guys to the gulags time and time again. And what's to stop him from doing this now? He's improved. His last fight with Stipe, if you look at it, he doesn't need to use all that footwork. You look at Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson was a smaller guy, but he sent guys to the gulag. Um, so it's all about footwork and placement. And I think if Engano could keep his feet underneath him and bring it with him when he's closing the gap and close the gate, so to speak. So as as Surugan is circling off the cage, trying to get back to center, if Engano can cut him off and close the gate and give him some hard exits and make him slow down from trying to um, utilize his footwork too much, I think Engano can have a very, very high and successful night. Um, I, I do think Surugan's going to be looking to try to catch some of those leg kicks if Engano throws too many. I think if Ghana throws him, he has to disguise him behind his punches and not give Ghana an opportunity to get on top because I do think that is what he's going to do. I would like to see Francis Russell and um, Ghana first and see what happens when Ghana is on his back or pressed against the cage, and I think that's going to be a very, very interesting fight. This is going to be a fun fight. I don't know what's going to happen. Um, like I said, we've seen Dirk Lewis. He fought Dacus, and Dacus, super technical guy, light on his feet, good hands. And what happened, Lewis sent him to the Gulag, sent him to the Shadow Realm, sent him to Neptune. It is just one of those things that whenever someone possesses that type of power, you never, ever count them out. Even if they aren't the most technical by definition, their technique is, I'm going to put this chin, this fist on your chin and detonate it. That's it. Um, Co-main event, we got Brandon Moreno taking on uh, Davison Figueredo. This is a good matchup, the trilogy between these two. The first one was a tough, tough fight, man. Um, short notice for Brandon um, Moreno and obviously Figueredo too. It was a quick turnaround because our fight got pushed because of Pideon pulling out of the fight. So they pushed that fight. And since Davidson Figueredo had a quick fight, um, Brandon Moreno had a quick fight. Figueredo choked out Alex Perez. They now push the title fight and that matchup, they put it together quickly and just pushed them like three weeks later because um, Pideon pulled out a fight three weeks before. And that was a majority decision draw. So we had that draw. And then Moreno beats him the second time. Ran naked choke in round three. Pretty much pitched out a clinic shutout in that second fight. And that fight showed that Moreno is levels above the competition at the flyweight. In the UFC, good stand-up, really quick boxing, good fight IQ. You know, Moreno does the thing with his hands, chin up a little bit, and he's evaluating. Then he's looking down, and then he's seeing where he's going to go. And then, uh, 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 leg kick, head kick, body kick, stepping out, um, utilizing the takedowns, perfect timing, great entries, just a smart kid overall. We got to train together a bunch. We kind of stopped because his teammate is fighting one of my teammates. And I told him, like, out of respect, I was like, I don't want to come here when your friend comes in. So when your friend comes to um, Vegas and starts training, I'll stop training with you guys as well. Because obviously, I want both guys to have um, no concern in terms of um, feeling like someone is telling the other guy, like, what this guy is good at or what his weaknesses are in terms of our guy trying to exploit that or that type of thing, you know, so I don't ever want to be that type of guy. So I always have gym etiquette and I just hope a lot more people could be like this. And I hope a lot of pe a lot of people are like this to begin with, you know, so tough fight. Um, 
Moreno keys to victory. I think utilize the grappling again. Um, stay along with the jab, uh, touching and going. Davison Figueroa. I don't know if he's going to be able to ultimately change the way he fights. He typically keeps one hand down. His hands are pretty low, but he has a lot of good power. It seems like he hits hard. He cracks pretty good. I just don't know what he's going to do differently than this. I know he has a really good guillotine. I can't really foresee Moreno shooting into a guillotine the way Alex Perez did. Um, so I, I I don't really know what his keys to victory really is, if I'm being honest. And I'm not trying to be a dick and saying because I trained with Moreno or trained. But when you look at the last fights, the first fight, it, it, even the first fight that they had, it was just kind of like a brawler mentality. It's like, what is your what is going to change? Are you going to utilize the jab now? Are you going to be a big cross-heavy guy and setting it up from the jab? Are you going to be a big 3-2 guy? Or are you just going out there and just fighting and just scrapping it? I just think he just scraps. He just throws shit. And I, I, Moreno, I think you kind of could tell what he's more so going to do. And he could pick you apart with his boxing. You can say, like, his his, his boxing is strong. You can say he has decent takedowns. Um, um, you can say when he gets on the back, he's very tough to get off your back. We don't. I don't know much about Figueroa in the, in the sense of everything else. Every time I've watched him fight, I just feel like he's more of a brawler, and it's not the most technical type of fighting. But he's tough. He's durable. Um, and I don't want to say he doesn't have any heart because I think he showed heart in a couple of his other fights. The difference I think is just he gets tired. I think with that last fight, he got tired against uh, Moreno. He's thirty-four years old. He lost to Jussier for Minga, and that was really it. In the, yeah, that's it in the UFC. Outside of that, he was undefeated, only losing to Moreno and for Minga. It's, it's weird, you know? It's, MMA is a weird, very weird, weird sport in the sense of, like, how you can get to the top and not really be good in, like, a specific department, but he's well-rounded. Like I said, he's tough, he's durable, he's kind of a brawler. Um, I don't really think he throws a lot of leg kicks. He just seems like he hits hard. He has a good guillotine. Um, I just think Moreno, overall, his skill set is just better. And that, for me, is why I am picking Moreno to win again, who is a minus 180, and Figueredo is a plus 155. I know Figueredo, and I'm giving you guys the facts, he's been training with Henry Cejudo, so for whatever that's worth, maybe something different happens in terms of his technicality or his mindset approach. Zhang Wei Li was training with um, Henry Cejudo. Um, she had a much better performance against Rose Namajunas the second time around. Obviously, the first one she got caught. Any time that can happen. Sometimes you look for something and you're just out of motion, out of touch with what's actually going on, and you miss a, a beat like that, you get caught, and that's the fight. But the rematch between Rose and Wei Li was completely different. Five rounds of them just going after it. In a fight that I didn't even know who was going to win that fight. I had no idea. I, for, I for, You know, it's just one of those things. Excuse me. So for with Figueroa, I'm kind of like, damn, dog, I, I really don't know. I really do not know what is what is he going to do or what has he done that's going to change the outcome of this fight. Now, moving on, Cody Stamen taking on Saeed Nurmagomedov. This is a good one. This is a very very good matchup. Now, let's let's um let's see what DraftKings sportsbook has the odds for this one. Cody Stamen's a plus one seventy. 
Nurmagomedov is a minus 200 favorite. So Cody's coming in as a pretty big, sizable underdog. Now, I think Stamen's a tough dude. I think he's fought a lot of tough competition. He lost his last one to Marab and lost the last one before that to Jimmy Rivera in a tough fight. Um, Rivera no longer in the UFC, but I don't know if he, I don't think he, re- yeah, yeah he, they never resigned him. And I don't know if he's going to resign or whatever the case may be because he lost to Marlon, myself, Jan, and Pedro in that rematch. So that, yeah, okay. Um, but before that, he beat Brian Keller, who just got a big win at 145, taking on a short notice in Kevin Kroon, but going up to 145. So you look at that, and then before that, he had a draw to Song Yedong, and before that, he beat Alejandro Perez by decision, and before that, he fought me, lost that one. Mm. This Saeed fight, it's a, it's a tough one to call because he's still relatively new. Saeed is 29 years old. He's 5'8", Russian. I don't know if he's from Dagestan. It says he's from Makakshala, Makakshala, uh, Russia. Makakshala, Kala. Makakshala, whatever. Close enough, right? Um, he beat Mark Striegel, knocked him out round one, and before that he lost to Rayoni Barcelos by decision. And I, I do remember that being a good fight. He beat Ricardo Ramos round one. He beat uh, Justin Scoggins. Was that at 25 or 35, though? So I think he's coming up a weight class. Right? So 125. Yeah, so he's not the biggest 35er, but he's 5'8". He can fill out. He's 29 years old now. I think that could play to the advantage of Cody Stamen, who is a relatively strong dude. Um, I, I, I like this matchup. I just think it's a fun matchup. You know, what's going to happen? I mean, I thought, I didn't think Nurmagomedov had that many fights in the UFC, but he actually has one, two, three, four fights in the UFC. This is his fifth appearance. Outside of that, I don't really recognize any of these other names of people he's fought. Um, Biblitov at ACB. Mm, 33 years old. <clears throat> he won his last four. He lost to Rogerio Bontarin and John Moraga. So, oh, he was in the UFC. Oh, wow. Man, Russian takeover is serious. So, based on his last fight, I mean, he looked good. Striegel kind of threw like, uh, he just got caught in a weird place where he hit him, caught him right on the button, knocked him out. And put on the finishing touches. Stamen is going to have to use his footwork. He's going to have to watch out from long-range attacks. I don't know if Saeed's more of a grappler or more of a, a striker. I can't really remember. Um, but I, I do think Stamen has a good shot of winning this. Even though Stamen has talked shit about me in the past. Um, after the fact that we fought and, and after the fact that we trained together. I have no problem in saying that. Like... I have no beef with the guy. It was just kind of weird to to spar with someone and, and help them prepare for a fight and then go on record and kind of saying the stuff that he did. Um, kind of like discredited my toughness after training with me and knowing that I'm probably one of the most mentally tough toughest guys he's ever fought or probably ever trained with. You know, there are bad days I've had and I, and I tough through it, you know. So it, it, that was kind of weird to kind of say, like, I knew deep in my heart, like, I could have gotten up after that knee. And, and I'm like... It wasn't even the fact that I could have gotten up after the knee. It was more so the fact that if I didn't take the proper full minutes 
that I was allowed, would I have just gotten my ass kicked even worse and compromised my health even more than it was already compromised? Being tired, taking the shots that I already took previous to that, and then taking a legal shot that I didn't even see, and then to say, like, I could have known in my heart I could have gotten up. I'm like, nah, dog, it really, it really wasn't like that. If anyone really thinks that that knee did not do damage, you got to think, it wasn't like he just lightly topped and tried to get away with one. He maliciously threw a knee thinking that he was going to get away with it or thinking that I was on my way up because his coaches told him to knee. That's what, that's what he said. You know, so do you think he threw that knee lightly? I mean, come on, guys. Like, the fact that he thought that he could have thrown the knee, he thought, in that respect... Do you think he threw the knee lightly? It's as simple as that. And once you know that, you know that he had me in a compromised position and he threw the knee as hard as he could. Why would that not do damage? Like, that, that is just, it's just a mind-blowing argument to make. And then to talk about Anthony Smith, like, let's not even get into that again. Um, so it was just weird when Stamen had said that. Uh, now, he had a really good performance against Marab. I think that was the best conditioning shape he's ever looked in and probably the most confident he was ever been, like the way his approach was. And the, he kind of looked zoned in, dialed in. Like he lost the first round, and then the second round got closer. And then the third round, I think he, you could make the argument that he won that round or Marab had a clean sweep all three rounds. But that third round was really close. Got a takedown, I think, once or twice in that fight as well. Um, so he's a gamer. I think he's progressively gotten better. And I do think that the competition that he's faced so far has been a lot stiffer. Whether or not you can say he hasn't won any of those matchups, it doesn't matter. He's fought the toughest of the toughest. He fought Rivera. He fought myself. He fought Marab. Um, he fought Song Yadong, who is a world beater right now, looking like a world beater right now. So he's had some really good matchups. And, um, I think that something to be said about experience, and I do think that's what's going to carry him over to win this fight against Saeed Nurmagomedov. And I think do think I did have him in my parlay as one of my DraftKings Sportsbooks bets. Um, the next one, Michael Pereira versus Andre Fialho. Oh, this is a guy I've been seeing at the uh, PI, Fialho, but I didn't know who he was. Um, oh, he's making his UFC debut. Wow. Yeah, because I was seeing this kid around. I didn't know, like, I didn't know what to think. So I was like, I don't know if I know this guy or not. But clearly I don't because he hasn't fought yet in the UFC, making a big debut against Michelle Pereira. This is going to be a great fight. Um, DraftKings Sportsbook, Michelle Pereira is a minus 280 favorite. Fiajo is a plus 225 underdog. So there's some good value in that. Fiajo is 27 years old. He's 6 feet tall. He's from Portugal. He won his last one over Sekuluk, um, Pug, Yu, and James Vick. So he won four in a row. One, two, three, four finishes in a row, too. So there's something to be said about this. Michelle Pereira might have his work cut out for him, but Michelle, he's looking jacked right now, looking strong. Now, hopefully he's been putting more attention to his technique and skill set, obviously over dancing. Um he just seems like he came in as a wild-style athletic fighter, didn't really have the most technique, very awkward and unorthodox, but he was tough. He was an athlete, and if he connected super strong, he, he could put guys out in Michelle Pereira. So now I think after a couple, the uh, the setback that he had with um, Tristan 
and Diego Sanchez. I do think him winning those last three fights, Nico Price, Chaos Williams, um, Imadayev, he's starting to piece together that, hey, man, if I can just put a little bit more effort into my overall technique, it's going to go a lot longer of a way with all the showboating and all the, the theatrics that I do in terms of the dancing and just the push the show. He's an entertainer. He puts on the show, and I think when he's putting more emphasis on his skill set, as he's shown, he's getting better and better and better. So this could be him having another coming out party and making it four in a row and showing the, the UFC that he is actually here to stay and is going to be around for quite a while. So hopefully we'll see how this one goes. I just want to see a good fight. Like we've hung out once or twice, I think, um, here in Vegas. He's a good dude, um, Michelle Pereira. Um, it was so funny because we met and – um, Johnny Walker had to tell him who I was because he didn't know who he he didn't know who I was. This was like last year. This was last year. Had no idea, which was I thought was hilarious. It was like this guy gets to the UFC, probably never even watches, and just like hey, I'm gonna do this fight and stuff. And um, it's like it, it was just funny. I just find that funny. I just find that funny that the guy who's fighting for a world title soon, you have no idea who he is. I'm like, oh, this is crazy. This is hilarious. But not everyone watches the fights the way I do, you know. Um, next up, uh, just a couple of fights I want to point out. Matt Favola taking on Gen- uh, Gennaro Valdez. This is going to be a good fight. Valdez undefeated. Favola, a couple of fights. Obviously, his last one didn't go his way. Short notice. Um, not short notice. Short fight, I should say, against Terrence McKinney. Seven-second knockout. And then before that, losing to Sharyukian. Going the distance. So it's kind of like weird to to have a, a great fight against a top prospect in... Hey, Harry. Um, to have a top prospect like that in Shoryuken and go to distance and do some good stuff, land some good strikes, actually um, defend a bunch of takedowns. I think he might have even gotten a takedown of his own, if I remember correctly, over in Abu Dhabi. And then he has a fight like this against Terrence McKinney and just gets cracked really early and seven-second knockout. So to go from a really good performance against a tough dude and putting the kind of division on notice that he is also a top player in this division and having that one of the lowest lows. So for him... This is a big matchup. Favola has to make sure his head is on straight. Um, going into this one, take his time. Be he's a Marine guy. Um, an army guy. I don't want to say Marine. I don't want to get it mixed up. But an army guy. And his mentality is just go, 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 go. So I I'm I am hoping that he's put a lot of emphasis on just being more patient and using his technical his fight IQ outside of the octagon, when he's inside the octagon, sometimes, like I said, he's just a goer. He just goes, man. So I think the approach might be a little bit different where he might set back a little bit and find his shots a little bit more. But when he has you hurt or he thinks he lands a good shot, he's going to attack you. And I do think that's what makes a guy like Favola fun to watch and super dangerous. So um, I'm looking forward to this one. I do think Valdez is a tough dude, but his last one on a contender series, very wild style dog fight. Um... I met him here at the UFCPI upstairs before the guys' workout. When I'm finishing up my workout, I shook his hand, you know, say hello. Um, obviously, I know he's fighting my guy. And again, what I said before, I'm not going to be there in, in the room working out with Moreno while my friend's opponent is right there, too. That's just kind of weird. Um, so just breaking out his fights, I've sent Favol some clips where I think he can capitalize. He's a tenacious fighter. Like, he goes forward also you, trying to utilize his, his grappling, which I'm surprised. I thought he was more of a striker. But him trying to bulldoze him way forward, trying to get those takedowns against the cage, I do think that's where Favola will be able to capitalize. And I think the main thing that Favola needs to do is catch him in between those transitions because we know he's going to come forward. He's going to throw some wild 
open strikes, not really straight, wild and open. And I think that's the opportunity where Favola is going to be able to capitalize and put this guy away. And probably not, I don't, maybe not away, but if he hurts him early, he could put him away for sure. But uh, I do think this is Favola's fight to win. You know, 15 minutes is a, a cakewalk for a guy like Matt Favola. So I'm super excited for this one. I was going to try to get out to LA, but I'm going to take my ass back to New York and just kind of just hang out and. Catch up on some things, see the friends, family, the girl, and um, yeah, that's, that's that'll be pretty much it. So, outside of that, um, we have oh, what are the odds? So, Favola is a minus two ten favorite, and Valdez is a plus one seventy five underdog. So, I guess Vegas is kind of having a similar thoughts on Valdez's overall game. Uh, Tony Gravely taking on Simon Oliveira, 135. I don't know who this Oliveira guy is. He kind of looks like Thomas Almeida with the tattoo on his shoulder. He's got a belt on. He's 30 years old. He is from Brazil. 5'6". I don't know any of these guys he's fought. But tough dude. He's won one, two, three, four, five fights in a row. Guillotine, guillotine, a decision. Front choke, guillotine, split decision. So he's looking like a good grappler versus Tony Gravely, who I believe is also a grappler. This should be a good, fun fight to watch. Gravely, 30 years old. Um, lost his last one to <clears throat> Nate Maness. He beat Anthony Burchike by knockout and beat De Fritas. Um, before that, losing by rear naked choke to Brett Johns. And before that, winning one, two, three, four, five, six, seven in a row. Lost Apache Mix, beat Darren Mima, beat Chris Montino, who was a short nose replacement for um, Sean O'Malley. And this one is a minus 240 for Tony Gravely, and Oliveira is a plus 195. Even though this guy's got a bunch of submissions, and he, his last loss was really to um, Nate Maness, and that one was counterhook to ground strikes. Um, and his other one before that was to Brett Johns via rear naked choke. I, you would think that they would give some respect in terms of the, the odd spread to Oliveira to potentially get him down and maybe get a finish. I don't know. Oh, Rayoni Barcelos is fighting too. Victor Henry, I don't know who the heck this guy is. Victor Henry, 34 years old. He's 5'7", from Southgate, Carolina. Carolina, wow. Southgate, California. Wow, that was bad. Uh, he won his last one over Albert Morales, Renick choke, and now he's in. He lost to Dennis Lavaretti. Oh, this is um Peter Jan's guy. So he beat Victor Henry, then he won two in a row after that. So he's one, two, three, four, five, six, six fights. Oh, he beat my guy Anthony Leone, corner stoppage back in 2019. Shit, I didn't know that. That's an old friend of mine who helps run the gym out in uh, Bali and May. He lost it. Uh, he beat Taylor Lapalus. So this guy seems like the real deal, Dennis. Um. Hmm. Oh, he fought Dennis twice. He beat him the first time. Okay. And he beat him back in a rematch. Interesting. So that should be a really fun fight. Now, this last one I want to talk about, Ilya Taporia taking on Charles Jordan. Now, Taporia is a minus 575, and Jordan is a plus 410 underdog. I think it's a little disrespectful. 
um, to have Jordan as such a huge underdog. But these are the stories that we like because if there is an upset, it makes him look that much better. Now, obviously, Jordan's is taking this on short notice, so you have to factor that in in terms of the short notice and why he's um, being put down so much in terms of the, the ranking space um, or the, the betting space. So I, I get that. But his last performance over Andre Ewall was unreal. He lost to Julian Rosa, Darce Trogan, round three. Um, Taporia is a good grappler, but his boxing seems to be his main weapon of late. So he lost to, so he beat Andre Ewall. That Spartan-like performance, front kicked and knocked Ewell off his feet at the end of the round and just starts screaming. Yo, it, that was unreal. Mad performance. Lost to Julian Rosa after that in round three. Beat Marcelo Rojo, who was also a bantamweight. Took that on, I don't want to say short notice, but obviously he's a bantamweight. He beat him in round three, got finished, finished him. He had a split decision draw. A split draw. Um, to Joshua Kalibar, and before that, he lost to Andre Feely split, and Duhoy Choi, he beat him by left cross in round two, and his debut, he lost to um, Des Green. And Duhoy Choi was one of those, uh, he was a hot prospect, the Superboy, um, coming into the UFC, who had a, a very, very high ceiling. He hasn't fought in a while, though. I don't know when's his next fight going to be. Danny Sanchez canceled bout. It was supposed to be for July of 2021. And I don't know. He lost three in a row now. So uh, I don't know what's going to happen with him now. But now you have Taporia, who's been looking like a world beater. Since he came to the UFC, beat Yusuf Zalao, decision, beat Damon Jackson, knocked him out by punches round one, and knocked out via ground and pound in round one over Ryan Hall. So he is a world beater. The undefeated, riding red hot, feeling himself right now, which he should. Fin big finishes in the UFC. Prospect young, 24 years old, 5'7", strong guy. I'm looking forward to this one. This one, I think it's going to be a banger. I think Charles Jordan is a super game fighter, and he fought not too long ago, so he shouldn't be too bad out of shape. Um... Andre Iwo was January, no, it was December 18th. So I think he's going to do a good job and turn some heads in this one. I don't think he's a can. I don't think Taporia is going to just run through him. I think Taporia is, is probably more likely going to win. Uh, I think his skill set is a little bit better, and I think he's had more consistency. And I think he just knows how to win. Versus Charles Dodane, seems like he's starting to come into his own, but when he has big matchups, doesn't seem to do as well. He's 26 years old. What's his reach? 69, 69 inches in the reach. He did what he was supposed to do against Ewald. Rosa's a tough dude for anybody. I think that that fight can't be like looked at as like, oh, man, he lost to Rosa. Rosa's a tough cat, man. And the reach of Taporia is 69 inches as well. 5'7 for Taporia. And Charles Jordan is 5'9". I'm this fight I'm I'm super hyped for. So the odds maker has it like in a super disrespectful way of uneven, lopsided. Maybe the fight will reflect that. I don't know. But either way I'm looking forward to it and um can't wait to see what happens. Uh 
I got a couple training. I'm going to actually head back to New York this weekend, watch the fights with some of my guys. I'm still in a weird spot where I'm kind of pulling back. I'm going to probably do a little lifting this week to stay nice and strong. Maintenance for the neck and just overall these muscles, you know, I got to stay strong, baby. Let's go, baby. But as always, man, if you guys find value in this video, hit that like button. And if you like my shit, subscribe to my shit. We'll spin the breakfast, baby. I'll see you guys later. Peace.